1: Hey, guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. Delighted to have you on board, as always. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore, and Twitter and true social, I am at Monica Crowley you don't want to miss those accounts because they are pure fire also by email you can reach me at monica crowley podcast at gmail.com again monica crowley podcast at gmail Dot com. All right, later in the week, we're going to have an absolute blast on Friday because we're going to be joined by the one and only Terrence Williams. If you're not familiar with Terrence, you should be because he is one of the rare conservative comedians on the scene. He grew up in foster care, has an unbelievable story where his mother was a drug addict and he was separated from his siblings. And literally, if there's anybody in this country who should have fallen into drugs and gang life and Criminal life and been behind bars is Terrence Williams. But he did not. He did not because, in his soul, he was a good person and he knew right from wrong. He also had a series of, well, some not so good foster parents, but also some good ones that raised him in the end. And he's just an extraordinary person, very, very funny, and uh, definitely MAGA for sure. So he is going to join us here on Friday, and we're going to have a lot of laughs with Terrence Williams. So not to be missed. Also coming up next week, we're going to have Katherine Engelbrecht uh, join us. And uh, she has been all over election integrity for a very long time. She's going to break down where we are and where we're going as we head into 2024. Also next week, we're going to be joined by the fantastic and brilliant Dinesh D'Souza, He's going to join us with his insights also into where we are in this country and where we are going. So you're not going to want to miss a second of these upcoming shows, I promise you. All right, today we are going to deal with the myriad threats facing the United States. I've been promoting Superpower Imperil," Peril. That is Dave McCormick's new book about the array of very serious challenges that we face in this country, both here and around the world. Uh, he ran for Senate in Pennsylvania against Dr. Ross in the GOP primary. Oz got the nomination, but I suspect that Dave McCormick is going to be back on the scene because he was an excellent, excellent candidate. He is going to be here in a couple of minutes to break down some of the most major threats we face, including primarily the CCP and China. Okay, uh, we talked a little bit about China on Monday, uh, broke apart some of this, but he is really, he's been on top of the CCP threat for a very long time. And he's going to join us, but it's not just going to be limited to that. We're going to talk to him about the weaponization of government and a whole host of other threats and what it's going to take in terms of leadership and political will to bring this country back. So Dave McCormick here is going to join us in just a couple of minutes. So sit tight for that. But first, the Monica Memo. Round and round we go. Where we'll stop, nobody knows. At least not when it comes to all of the fake cases ginned up by the communists to target one Donald J. Trump. I want to bring you updates here on a number of these cases, including one that I had completely forgotten about. First, though, there's a fantastic group uh, being led by my friend Stephen Miller, who was and remains a top advisor to President Trump. He created a brilliant organization called America First Legal. America First Legal, if you're not following them on social media, you should be, um, get on that right now, uh, because they are doing amazing work in terms of uh, challenging in the courts a lot of what the left is trying to do, because so much of it is unconstitutional, uh, blatantly illegal, and because they control all of the levers of power, including much of the judiciary, they believe that they can get away with it. And they do in many cases but it's largely because we have not been organized in pushing back but stephen miller has stepped up created america first legal which again is an unbelievable organization doing really important work they don't win them all but they have had a number of significant legal uh, victories uh, for all of us and for the constitution and our system The latest is that they have exposed, I assume through a FOIA request, um, but America First Legal um, got documents from the National Archives with regard to the raid, the FBI's raid on Mar-a-Lago, back on August 8th, 2022. Now, at the time, we spent a good deal of time on this show covering that raid, and I made mention of the fact that August 8th, was a historically significant date. Why? Because that was Richard Nixon's last day in office. Last full day in office, he announced his resignation, and he was gone on August 9th. Again, these communists know their history, and they weaponize the history too. So again, no no, uh, coincidence. So this raid takes place, and at the time, Joe Biden and his administration were all, wow, we're stunned. We can't believe this. We had no idea. And the media was, was of course, amplifying all of these lies. We had no idea. We're absolutely stunned. Joe Biden said, I had no idea this was going down. The National Archives also claimed that it had, quote, not been involved in the DOJ investigation of Trump and classified material. Oh, really? Really? Huh. Well, America First Legal obtained documents from the National Archives, and guess what? Biden's administration was involved in the raid of Mar-a-Lago through something called a special access request. This is being reported by Breitbart, and other outlets have picked this up as well. So it does appear that the sitting leader... Weaponized law enforcement to target his main political opponent. It not just a former president, but likely the candidate that was going to uh, go up against him in 2024, his main political opponent. So again, I say, whenever you hear that this is a banana republic, again, I say, this is so much worse than a banana republic. Because in a banana republic, you do not have a long history of a constitution, a bill of rights, and all of the protections that those documents afford all of us. In a banana republic, you don't have any of that. So it's a free-for-all. But here, we have 200-plus years of that, those traditions and those rights and those those avenues of redress. Not anymore. So worse than a banana republic. The sitting president has weaponized law enforcement and basically every other government agency against his primary political opponent. But it's not just Donald Trump in the crosshairs. We are now getting actual evidence that the DOJ and FBI, we know targeted parents who dared to show up to school boards to question CRT and the sexualization of children because they care about their kids and their education, Up in walks the FBI to target these people. And now we know that the DOJ and FBI have been targeting Catholic churches as well. And I'm sure other denominations are in their crosshairs, but the Catholics, the Catholics really need to be targeted because they're the most organized and, and influential religious group in the country, right? Targeting Catholic churches. Targeting you and me. There was a story this week that showed that the FBI has a glossary of terms, that they focus on social media, um, and they flag anybody using these terms, try to silence them, hand in glove with big tech, but also they've got eyes on anybody using these particular terms because they are terms of, quote, domestic extremism, possible domestic terrorism. You know what one of these words is? Based. Based. I used based in a tweet the other day. I guess that makes me an extremist. Also red-pilled from the matrix. So-and-so has been red-pilled. They're flagging you for being an extremist. So they're probably watching your social media, eavesdropping on your phone conversations, tracing your emails. How do you like this tyranny we're in? Hmm? Lovely, ain't it? Um, Moving on to another case, this is the case against Trump that I'd forgotten about. The spectacle of another witch hunt is coming back to New York City. No, not the uh, corrupt Soros DA Alvin Bragg's case. No, no, no. That's just one of about a bajillion cases against Donald Trump. Now, this is the uh, New York State Attorney General, Letitia James. She's got an ongoing fraud investigation into the Trump organization. So he's coming back to New York this week for, for a second round with Letitia James, who's going knee deep into the business practices of the Trump organization and and the company and so on. Now, like the first time Trump is expected to plead the fifth. So we'll see what he does, but Again, they're inconveniencing him, harassing him, distracting him by hauling him back into New York so he could sit there, face her, and say, I take the fifth. All of these cases are completely bogus, but it doesn't mean in a blue jurisdiction like New York State, New York City, that they can't actually bring indictments like we just saw with him. This is weaponizing The judiciary. This is weaponizing law enforcement. This is weaponizing these DA's offices and state attorney general offices. But they just don't care. They don't care about tearing down the system. That is their objective. That is the point. This is a communist revolution, guys. All of these cases are case in point. On now to the third case, corrupt Soros DA Alvin Bragg whines like a bitch and is suing Jim Jordan. The House Judiciary Committee, led by Chairman Jordan, is preparing to come to New York because they're going to hold a hearing there to examine how Alvin Bragg's pro-crime, anti-victim policies have led to a significant spike in violent crime and created a dangerous environment for all New York City residents. They're going to do an open hearing here with crime victims, parents of people who've been killed by violent criminals, and or the fentanyl crisis. They're going to hold a hearing there, which is great. But in the meantime, Bragg has filed a federal lawsuit against Congressman Jordan, alleging that Jordan is trying to wage a campaign of intimidation over his prosecution of President Trump. Well, duh, that's exactly what it is, yo. It's a campaign of intimidation and harassment against Trump. That's exactly what it is. And Bragg doesn't want to have any part of this. He doesn't want to be hauled in front of Congress because there are many secrets there. Oh, and Discovery will be super fun. In his lawsuit, Bragg says that he's taking legal action, quote, in response to an unprecedentedly brazen and unconstitutional attack by members of Congress on an ongoing New York State criminal prosecution and investigation of former President Trump. Well, again, uh, uh, Discovery is going to be just a gem Because the point is, Congress does have oversight when federal money is being spent in a state or even, in this case, a local jurisdiction. So for every federal dollar, uh, Bragg is going to have to explain exactly what he did. And Jim Jordan is going to have the wherewithal to unearth all of the abuses of Bragg's office here. So I'm looking forward to discovery. Actually, bring on these lawsuits. And you know what, guys? Also, this is how it's done. Lawfare, lawfare, waging political war by using the laws against your political opponents. They do it to us, so we must do it to them. I'm so glad that Jordan is doing this. And you know what? Bragg is countersuing, and then there'll be another lawsuit back and forth. You know what? Fine. They want to abuse the system. We'll abuse it right back in order to hold them accountable and force the facts, the documents, and the truth out. Harass and distract them with subpoenas and lawsuits and just keep them coming, flying. Keep all of these documents just flying. Fire with fire. This is the way it's done. I'm very proud of Chairman Jordan for doing this. Alvin Bragg can sue him all day long. And Bragg was just like, (laughs) Bragg was like, you know what? Bring it. In fact, he responded with this tweet. First, they indict a president for no crime. Then they sue to block congressional oversight when we ask questions about federal funds they say they use to do it. So obviously, Jordan and the crew there in House Judiciary are accusing Bragg of an unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority. They're also demanding that Bragg testify before the Judiciary Committee. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Bring them in. Harass them. Force them to beat back these subpoenas. Force them to beat back these lawsuits. Just do what they're doing to us all day long. Don't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. And finally today, Joe Biden was asked by Al Roker, are you going to run again? And of course, Al Roker is just swooning to be in the presence of President Joe Biden. So he's all respectful and stuff. Joe Biden answered the question by first uh, dropping a non sequitur that made absolutely no sense about Easter and looking for eggs and dropping eggs or something. And then he gave kind of a word salad of an answer. Listen.
0: So this is a fantastic event, one of my favorites of the year. I was just wondering, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after planning on after twenty twenty four? I plan on (laughs) at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At least three or four more. Maybe maybe five. Maybe five. (laughs) Maybe maybe (laughs) six. What the hell? Are you are you saying that that you would be? Uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election
1: in twenty twenty four. I'll either roll an egg or you know being the the you know the guy who's pushing them out. Come on, help a help a brother out. no. I plan on running now, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. So he plans on running in twenty twenty four. Uh huh. And he's pushing it off to the fall. Look, they could run. We a Bernie's candidate. They could, but they're going to have to drop another pandemic on us to keep Biden in the basement. I don't know what's going on here. I still suspect, and the evidence is beginning to mount in this direction, that they're pushing off the announcement of Joe Biden because they want to make way for Michelle Obama. And so they want to freeze out everybody else, make it impossible for them to declare and run and raise money. So they'll push it off into the fall. And then they're paving the way for Michelle. I could be wrong, but in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to ask back our good friend Joel Gilbert, who did the documentary, Michelle 2024, to give us an update on this because things are looking a little, I don't know, the pieces are starting to fall into place for Michelle, if you believe in circumstantial evidence. So we will take a close examination of that here in a couple of weeks with Joel. All right, guys, sit tight. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dave McCormick. We're going to talk about the array of threats that we face and how to deal with them all. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome a true thought leader on all of the issues related to the managed decline that we're currently experiencing in this country, how to halt it and how to begin and sustain a real process of national renewal. Dave McCormick has already had a legendary career and in many ways, he's just getting started. Dave graduated from West Point. He served in the United States Army, in the storied 82nd Airborne Division. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. And he was part of the first wave that went into Iraq during the Gulf War where he won the Bronze Star. He then went on to serve our country in a different way as both Undersecretary of Commerce and Undersecretary of the Treasury for International Affairs. And I can tell you, having spent two years in the Treasury Department, that that top position at Treasury is extraordinarily important important. Dave was our chief economic diplomat during the last few years of the George W. Bush administration. He then went on to a very, very successful career in the private sector as the CEO of Bridgewater Associates. And last year, of course, he was a Republican candidate for the United States Senate from the great state of Pennsylvania. He's also the author, if all of that weren't enough, he's also the author of a brand new and very important book called Superpower in Peril, which is available now wherever you get your books. And he joins us now. Dave, welcome. Oh,
0: Monica, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: How is it to hear uh, your legendary career said <laughs> back to you like that? Are you blown away by what you've accomplished?
0: Well, it, you know, it. When you when you hear it described that way, it always makes me chuckle because the, the reality is there was lots of uh, lots of valleys along the way. And um, I tell a story uh, with my family that they always get a kick out of this. But you know, when I was um, when I was growing up, I, I always made these choices where I left the military. My dad was terribly disappointed because he thought I you know I lost the opportunity for a pension. And then uh, then I worked at McKinsey and I left McKinsey. So it was I think the age of thirty five or forty before my dad actually thought that things were going to work out okay so so it didn't seem so <laughs> it didn't seem so great at the time but it's but it's worked out all right
1: well, I would say, yes, for sure. And your parents always want you to have a backstop, like, okay, honey, you want to be a model or an actress? That's nice. Um, go to accounting school, you know, go, exactly. go get an advanced degree. They're only trying to protect you. But yes, your, your career absolutely uh, worked out. You're just absolutely a superstar. So I am really happy to have you here, uh, Dave, and I love your book. Like I said, it's critically important. I want everybody to go and get it and read it and really absorb it. There's a lot to cover uh, with you because you do sort of break apart what we're facing here. I want to start with a national diagnosis, if we can, because everywhere we look from the economy to the border, to crime, to cities in crisis, to national security, we see crisis and collapse. Are we in, as I said earlier, a state of managed decline, uh, managed by those who seek the what President Obama once called the fundamental transformation of the nation. When he said that, said that back in 07, 08, nobody stopped to think, well, what does he mean yeah, what is by that the saying? fundamental transformation of the nation? So as you see it, are we in a state of managed decline?
0: Yeah, we I, we really are. I'm not sure managed because managed suggests that it's purposeful and, 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 and people are in control. And I think we, we have in many ways a chaotic decline um, in the sense that we're Economically, and you know, in huge peril with uh, our debt levels of 31 trillion dollars, so a 40-year high in inflation. Uh, but, but probably most important, you know, 75% of Americans um, are living paycheck to paycheck. The majority think that uh, their kids are going to be less well off than they are, and 80% of Americans think the country's headed in the wrong direction. And so, um, by any measure. Um, we're struggling economically. But, but then on top of that, we have an existential threat from China. So we have uh, corrosion and erosion within combined with a, with a really unprecedented economic and national security threat abroad. And, and that's the, the moment we find ourselves in. And you know, the, the premise of the book in 30 seconds is that decline is not inevitable, but neither is renewal. It depends on what we do. And superpower in peril is, is my answer to the what we do plan, which is essentially educate our people, confront China, and secure America. And if we do that with the right kind of leadership, we can, uh, we'll find our way back to being a global superpower. But right now, uh, we're at risk of, uh, of really losing all that we love about America.
1: Yes, it's a very, very dangerous moment, which is why this book is coming out at exactly the right time, because it's such an important blueprint for how we reverse all of this. It is a long-term effort. And, you know, I say this all the time on the show, Dave, and I'm sure you will agree that this is going to be a a Herculean effort, but also a long-term one, because the left really began in the 1930s to undermine this country from within, started as a KGB operation, of course, and it just metastasized over these many decades. And the left has done this long march through our institutions to the point now where all of our institutions and really every aspect of our society is decaying, it's falling apart, it's shot through with corruption, so we we need the long view of how we're going to turn this around, but we also need leaders who will find the opportunities to turn this around. You know, and also yeah. with the courage and the political will to do it.
0: I I, I couldn't agree more. I uh, the the other piece of decline, which you refer to, is is call it the spiritual decline, but it's just yes. it's just what you said. It's the notion that our our institutions um, are being hijacked by a a progressive ideology that's chipping away at at some of the fundamental building blocks. Let let me give you a couple examples. Our schools, which are teaching a history of America that uh, you and I wouldn't recognize, uh, an idea that we should, that our children should be ashamed uh, that America was conceived in sin, as opposed to America being by any measure the most exceptional country in the history of the world, despite dark chapters, which we've continued to, you know, evolve and progress, we see it in our military, where uh, the military, the U.S. Army, which which um, I obviously feel allegiance to and served in, uh, announced its climate change strategy under President Biden before it announced its war fighting strategy. We see it in the, you know, the ESG movement um, in corporate America, which is really undermining some basic notions of capitalism and the allocation of capital in, in pursuit of profit. So this spiritual decay is very real. And um, and that's as big a, a part of our problem as is bad economic policies and bad national security policies. So um, I agree that, that it's perilous and that's what the book is trying to capture. But, but the book, if you look at the cover, Monica, it's got this very stark red, you know, superpower in peril. I think, I think we are at such a moment but, but the book, as you know, is optimistic. And people say to me, why, why on earth is it optimistic? And the, the reason I think it's optimistic is because it's the American story. We, we get to the edge of the cliff on decline and we pull ourselves back. It happened in, in the Civil War. It's, it happened in my lifetime. Um, it happened in, in the late 70s where we had double-digit inflation in 1979, stagflation, the economy was in a recession. We had the, the Soviet Union looming large. We had Desert One where uh, Iranian, host- in pursuit of rescuing our hostages in Iran, we lost eight service members on the, in the sands of Iran. It was a lot like the debacle in Afghanistan. And I remember sitting in the gla- gas lines with my dad in 1979. There were kind of odd days and even days. You couldn't get gas any day you wanted. You had to get it on the day you were assigned. That's how bad it was. And four years later, Monica, four years later, I was a plea, but West Point, it was 1983. The economy was on fire. Inflation was in check. We were in the middle of a, a military buildup. Um, there was optimism in the air. Um, America was back and it was morning in America. And, and that was the tagline for President Reagan's uh, second uh, campaign. And, um, and that was leadership. So I agree it's a long fight, but I also agree that leadership the right kind of leadership can really change the direction of the country. And that's what I'm arguing for in uh, in Superpower in Peril. All
1: right, Dave, I'm going to ask you to please stand by. We've got a lot more to cover with you. But first, guys, The Economist recently reported that American philanthropy is going woke, Like everything else, and predominantly funding left-wing causes. Do you want to help counterbalance this left-wing influence? If so, consider listening to Giving Ventures. It'll give you a really good idea of the liberty-minded organizations working to erase the heavy hand of government so individuals can prosper and thrive. Giving Ventures is a podcast designed to help donors and prospective donors discover new opportunities to change the world for the better. Twice a month, the Giving Ventures podcast highlights several nonprofit efforts, initiatives, and projects that leverage private philanthropy to solve public problems. Recently, they were joined by Star Parker, founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, a charity that works with. With lawmakers to craft policy that lifts people out of poverty. Kendall Qualls, the president of Take Charge MN, whose organization promotes common sense family policy and vocational training. And Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, a charity that helps revitalize low-income communities. The show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor-advised fund, helping conservative and libertarian givers simplify, protect, and grow their giving. The team at Donors Trust regularly engages with the policy groups, student organizations, academic centers, and civil society nonprofits that work to limit government, grow personal responsibility, and strengthen free enterprise. So if you care about the principles of liberty, and if charitable giving is an important part of your life, Giving Ventures is the podcast for you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, like this one, and catch up on the latest episode by visiting www.donorstrust.org Monica. We're coming right back. And we're back with Dave McCormick. His new book is called Superpower in Peril. So a couple of things which are really important, and I I so appreciate your emphasis on the spiritual battle that we're facing. I talk about it on this show all the time. This is a spiritual war. You know, we can talk about certain politicians and certain election, uh, you know, races and things like that. But in the end, there's something much bigger going on here. We see a lot of evil, you know, a lot of evil making itself known um, across our culture, but really across the West and the world and so on. So I'm really glad that you're talking about the spiritual nature of this. My first boss was former President Richard Nixon. I came out of college after writing him a letter. I ended up working with him for four years until he passed away. This was mid-1990s. And he, at the time, was writing about the spiritual nature, the, the corrosive effect of like the breakdown of traditional beliefs uh, in this country, whether it's religious faith, whether it's patriotism. And, you know, we just saw a new poll come out this week, Dave, that says only 38% of the American people feel that patriotism is a value yeah. that they embrace, um, even less value religious faith so all of these things that have tied America together, because America is really centered around an idea of individual liberty and economic freedom. If, if we are no longer um, rallying around that tent pole as a unified people, then what does it mean for what you're laying out here? How do, how do we get that uh, back? Can we put the toothpaste back in the tube?
0: You know, it's such, it's such a good question. And I, um, I saw that same poll which just is is a heartbreaking poll because you and you and I, people that grew up in our generation, we never imagined that the majority of us as Americans wouldn't first and foremost, love and believe in the future of America. And, uh, and if you don't believe as our, as our kids are no longer being taught, if you don't believe that America is exceptional, then you don't grow up thinking you have an obligation to, you know, try to keep it that way. And there's this great, uh, Great quote from William F Buckley uh, that I cite in the book about citizenship and it says citizenship's a privilege you know, to be a citizen or a part of the greatest country in, in the world but it's also responsibility and everybody's got to do their part and um, and and to keep it that way and and that's uh, one of the things I try to address in the book and there's no easy answer to your question but I relate it to a couple stories and maybe in the stories we there is at least part of an answer and the story, I talk about is when I was a, a young lieutenant in the 82nd Airborne, and I, I showed up and I, um, you know, I had a, a, a kid from rural Alabama, and I had a, an African American from Newark in my platoon, and I had a, you know, a kind of a middle class kid from Boston that dropped out of college, and I had a Puerto Rican platoon sergeant who was 35, and I was 20, 22, and it seemed like he was ancient at the time, you know, he was the old man that was gonna keep the young lieutenant out of trouble. And I served with that group of 30. Uh, young men uh, for you know two or three years in Iraq and elsewhere. I don't remember ever having a conversation about who was a Republican, who was a Democrat, who you know, who believed I, we were just brought together by a sense of common purpose of supporting our country, serving our country, and, and, and serving one another. And I wonder if, um, if we haven't lost, some of those social institutions that bring us together. I'm not saying the military is the, the, the only answer, Monica, but just as a, as a statistic. In 1950, 80% of the members of Congress had served in the military. Today, it's 17% of um, members of Congress serve in the military. So, so we don't have common things that bring us together. Um, and in fact, social media and a lot of other things pull us apart. And then as you say, this progressive ideology is chipping away at some fundamental things that are core to our, uh, our existence and the echo chamber that, that's in our liberal media reinforces those themes. But if we can find some common experiences that, that bring Americans together and reinforce how great America is, then I think that begins to create the basis for patriotism. So that's why history in schools is so important. That's why school choice that breaks the back of the liberal teachers unions is so important. That's why I think it's controversial among some conservatives. That's why I think a notion of national service, not mandatory, but that creates a common experience for Americans, is an important part of civic responsibility. And I think those sorts of things are what's going to be necessary to to change the spiritual direction. The final thing I'll say, I know I'm talking a lot here, is top-down leadership in those institutions. So if you think about the wokeism we see in the in DoD, that's why we need a you know a conservative president in 2024, a conservative cabinet um, at the federal government level that's going to wring out uh, that, that uh, deeply embedded uh, progressive ideology. And you know, I saw that to some degree at the Treasury. You, when you served, you probably saw some of that too. That's gotten a lot worse over time. And we need leaders who are going to take a top-down approach to, uh, uh, to getting rid of it. So that's, uh, those are some of the ideas.
1: That is a really critical point, because I don't care whether you're talking about government or industry or academia. We have, as a collective society for far too long, Dave, allowed the inmates to run the asylum. And they continue to run the asylum. So you've got like Gen Zers telling the CEO of Coca-Cola, if you don't take a stand on trans rights, we're going to quit and or take to social media, begin boycotts. And so they they feel like they have all of this leverage to inflict on whether it's government or a company or you name it, and the CEOs and COOs, all of the top leadership in these companies. Now, first of all, ideologically, they may be with the Gen Zers, who are doing this kind of extortionary behavior, um, but that they, they are bending to it. And you know, I think about the Silicon bank, uh, bank collapse, one of the big reasons, and I know there are many reasons for that collapse, but one of the big ones is their head of risk management as well as the San Francisco Fed, they were supposed to be monitoring this bank for risks. And instead they were focusing all of their time on DEI and ESG rather than their core mission. Where yeah. are the leaders across the board in this country to put these people in their place and say, if you don't like it, you can leave, but this is our policy and we're sticking to it for the good of the company, shareholders, the country.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think, I think you put your finger on a real challenge there and I'll just add to, I'll add to a dimension of it, which is, I think, um, and this is what I saw in the campaign trail in Pennsylvania. This is what I think President Trump uh, tapped into really particularly well in his 2016 campaign, which is that the America uh, that you and I know hasn't been working for a big chunk of our population uh, for a long time. And that was the thing that was most striking on the campaign trail. I I knew the reality, I knew the numbers, but I didn't feel it as viscerally until I you know, spent 30,000 miles in a pickup truck <laughs> going to you know, every mm-hmm. diner and BMW. But you know, if you look at the last 20 years, and this is, this is really important because it explains what's going on politically right now. If you look at the last 20 years, if you had assets, you did great. You know, everybody that had assets got a lot richer, which is only about 10% of the population. If you didn't have assets, you got worse off, relatively worse off because real income stayed flat and all assets went up because of the enormous amount of spending and the the low interest rates of the Federal Reserve. Um, So you have an economic situation that's been very advantageous to the elite. Then on top of that, you've had 20 years of war. And those 20 years of war have come disproportionately, the the wounded, uh, the people that were killed, the people that came home with scars, both mental scars and physical scars, those came disproportionately from, uh, from people that um, lived in those rural communities in many cases, and, and also uh, weren't advantaged by uh, the economy. Then on top of that, you have to look at fentanyl. And fentanyl, which is a real crisis in Pennsylvania and around the country, is, is corroding those very communities. And then you look at inflation, and inflation hurts us all, but it really hurts working families and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and people on fixed income. So the system has not been working for a big, big part of the population. But the, the elites that live in Washington and New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, they don't have, they, they, You know, if, even if you give them the best intentions, they don't have a feel for that because they don't see it. And if you give them the worst intentions, they're self-dealing um, to advantage their interests. And, and the Silicon Valley Bank is a good example because what happened there um, is just as you described, but beyond that, the, the bailout that came, um, the protection, the insurance that was given for the uninsured deposits. Let's, let's think about what happened here. So if you were the lawn mowing guy that mowed lawns for Silicon Valley Bank and you were a creditor, Silicon Valley Bank owed you money, you just, you just didn't get your money because you, you, the creditors got a, a big haircut. You didn't get paid. But if you were the rich venture capitalist that had uninsured deposits, and live down the street in the $10 million house, uh, your, your deposits got protected. That's just a little micro example, but that's what's been happening across society. That's what's been happening with the decisions that have been made. And that's why you have a whole uh, set of the population that's deeply disillusioned with the kind of leadership we have. And uh, and that's why I think the moment may be ripe for the kind of transformational change that, uh, uh, that you you and I were talking about when, uh, you mentioned the point when uh, President Obama said he was gonna transform the economy, well, he did. Unfortunately, it's in the way that I just described, but there's an opportunity to transform it back with a set of policies that bring opportunity back to these communities, that bring manufacturing back to uh, places like Pennsylvania that make us less dependent on China, uh, that put us in a technology leadership position. That's what this book is trying to outline is an agenda that really serves all Americans, not just um, not just uh, those that are living on the coast and in big cities.
1: Yep. And listen, I mean, this was a big part of President Trump's appeal back in 2015 and 2016. He spoke directly to the folks that you were describing, Dave, which is the forgotten men and women of this country, mostly live in the center of the country, but they're they're all over and they have been left behind by globalism and the movement of their jobs to places like China, where the labor is basically slave labor. They've lost their jobs, their communities have been decimated. And Trump came in and said, I see you, I hear you, and I will be your champion. And that emotional message to them, they took a leap of faith, elected him, and then he spent four years actually delivering for them um, in the ways that that you define a pro-growth economic agenda, tax cuts, regulatory relief, unleashing our energy sector, fair trade deals, all of the things that that you talked about in Pennsylvania. Of India, and you talk about in Superpower in Peril. It is absolutely critical that we get back to those policies, but we need the leadership to do it. All right, Dave, I'm going to ask you to stand by one last time while we hit this one last break. So much more with Dave McCormick coming up. And we're back now with our final moments with Dave McCormick and his new book, Superpower in Peril. Let's talk a little bit, Dave, about what you lay out in Superpower in Peril, because you talk about three opportunities for national renewal. You talk about the races for global supremacy in talent, technology, and data. So let's take them one by one. Can you talk a little bit about talent and education and how we can move on that front?
0: Yeah, the, um, you know, the thing you learn as a CEO is there's lots of things that you want to fix, but to to make a company, uh, to turn around a company or or make a company successful, you need to pick the the three or four things that are going to make the biggest difference. And and that's what I try to do in this book. And I thought about the the history of America is one of innovation. And we've always been at the leading edge of innovation and that's always served us well. Economically, we've become the most vibrant, dynamic economy in the world because of innovation. And, um, and we've become the most powerful military because of innovation. So I went back to what, what is ailing us right now? And it's a lack of innovation. It's a lack of uh, productivity enhancement. So our productivity is about half of what it's historically been. And we're losing the war with uh, China in terms of technology. There was a Wall Street Journal story, I don't know, three or four weeks ago that had a Australian think tank that assessed 44 critical technologies to national security, but also economics, artificial intelligence, you know, satellites, things like that. China was in the lead Monica in 37 of the 44, according to this Australian think tank. So we have a real problem. And so the solutions I come up with are, are those that are necessary to bring back that vibrancy to our economy, but also position us to win the competition with our primary adversary, China. And so education is about essentially school choice uh, at the secondary level, because um, our kids are slipping behind. We're 22nd in the world among industrial economies in math, science, engineering. And it's because we've got a public school system that's a monopoly, um, that's not teaching our kids well, and is teaching them um, ideas that are inconsistent with America's future. So um, I advocate school choice. We've been talking about that as conservatives for years. We're at a tipping point now post-COVID, where we're starting to see real movement with governors like Huckabee and DeSantis and others really pushing the envelope. And I think we've got a real moment to to create choices as a a primary thing. The second on the education front is we need to have much, much better skills training for our workers. You know, um, one of the big reasons our semiconductor industry went offshore is we don't have uh, adequately skilled workers to support it onshore. And we have to have it onshore. And so, um, you know, not every kid needs an education. There's great middle-class great productive jobs if we have the right training. So veterans benefits, like I, I use the GI bill coming out of the army, we need that for uh, technical training. We need Pell grants that help build out skilled workers that can, that can be part of this new economy. And then, um, and then finally, we need a technology leadership plan that puts us back in the lead. The problem is China is heavily subsidizing um, all these technologies and they're, they're winning the race. We need a model that's not a China model because that state uh, driven model is gonna fail eventually. And we need a model that's not an industrial policy model like the Democrats where you're essentially in doing social engineering through government money. What we need is a, is a set of incentives that create a draw for private capital into the key industries that are most important for our success, 5G, artificial intelligence, quantum science, and that's gonna allow our Pentagon and our economy to compete. So those are some of the ideas that I lay out in in the chapters. Um, The final ones on data, maybe I'll just take a minute on data because we're seeing seeing this with TikTok and everything. Data is incredibly important. Data, people say data is the new oil. Data is, is more important than oil used to be because data is at the core of innovation, but it's also at the core of our security. And so If you think about China, China has a data strategy. Um, It's got complete control of the data of its citizens. citizens. It uses that for security purposes. It uses it for innovation. China has control of data from around the world, including some of our data, and we have no data strategy at all. So we need privacy guidelines that protect our individual data. So um, I don't know if if, if you feel the same way I do, but when I order a pair of sneakers online, And then I get uh, uh, advertisements for sneakers for the next three months. It kind of spooks me. Who who sold my data to whom, right? I have no idea where my data is going. But beyond that, we have a social media network with uh, all these social media companies that are taking our data, using it in ways outside of our control, and then playing it back to us with a social media environment that's heavily tilted to the left. And it's an echo chamber for um, that progressive ideology that we talked about. So, a good example is COVID. How is it possible that it was sacrilege to describe the possibility that COVID might have originated in the laboratory in Wuhan, which which studied such viruses, <laughs> instead of a marketplace? Like that was a conspiracy theory that the you know the right wing was promoting. And, and we couldn't really talk about it. It wasn't talked about as a, as a real possibility until here we are three years later and our intelligence services are saying, yeah, that, that seems like it could really well be where COVID originated from. That's the kind of the Hunter Biden laptop. These kinds of things are being suppressed. So um, I'm a small government guy. I think less government's generally better. But in the case of big tech, I argue in the book that I think our government should play much more of a role of ensuring that big tech is accountable and imposing um, some accountability potentially with uh, section 230 or some other things that would make big tech liable for some of the the, uh, biased uh, uh, presentation of the facts that it's it's doing. The final thing we need to do is coordinate with our allies around the world on on data. So we don't have the kind of data control that China does. We don't want that. That's because they're authoritarian government. But we can partner with Australia and Japan and lots of other uh, countries on data in a way that'll help check uh, the superiority of uh, China on the data front. And if you if you want to know how powerful data is, just look at what's happening most recently with chatbot and uh, an open AI. This is scary stuff. Data yes. is the new frontier. We need a strategy to deal with it. And right now, we're um, sadly, we don't have one.
1: In our final moments here, let me just... Ask you about data because we spend some time on this show talking about the threat up from TikTok, which is a CCP surveillance tool, Dave. But you know, like Gen Z, you know, they'll say. What do I care about my data? You know, everybody knows everything about me anyway. They've grown up in a completely different world with like zero expectation of privacy. And a lot of them say, look, I'm nobody prominent. And what do I care if the CCP has my data? What do you say to them?
0: You know, right now, I think um, it's uh, there's a na- naivete. I think we haven't seen yet. How the power of that data will be applied, but but I I think it's um it's part of a culture that is disconnecting um, our kids from um their their responsibility and their contribution to the future of of America. You know, we saw that with Project Maven, where Google uh, engineers wouldn't cooperate with the Pentagon. It's almost like America is a flywheel. So if you just don't do anything, it's just going to keep being great. That's almost the uh, the impression of this generation, that this new generation, as opposed to realizing it only stays uh, exceptional if we fight to keep it that way. With regard to data in China, you know, there was a story that I report in the book of Fitbit data from our troops in Afghanistan that the Chinese um, were tapping into. So just think about the, what that data tells you what it tells you about our troop movements, what it tells you about the health of our soldiers, what it tells you about the number of our soldiers. So, data has power that may not be obvious to you at the moment. And uh, manipulated data uh, allows um, China or, or others to man- manipulate the, um, um, the, the understanding, um, the health and well being, um, the actions of a whole part of our population. So, we're, we're at the beginning of a new frontier of data. What's happening with chatbot is, is, is significant to the future of humanity as the PC. And, um, and we're nowhere in terms of a strategy uh, as America to deal with that. We need leaders who at least are asking the right questions. I don't think the answers are easy, but sadly, we don't even have people asking the right questions these days.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And I am so grateful to you for spending so much time in your book and also this conversation, but every time you speak, um, where you really deal with the existential threat posed by the CCP. Um, You know, we're sort of Cold War kids, but the threat posed by Communist China is a much more sophisticated and Hydra-headed threat than the Soviet Union ever was. And we simply don't have the leadership now. Certainly not in Joe Biden, who's completely compromised by the CCP. But across the board, we just their policy, their long-standing policy of elite capture. Whether it's the NBA, whether it's America's uh, you know movie industry, Hollywood, you name it, um, they have captured our elites and compromised them. With the promise and delivery of massive amounts of money. And so, you know, we, we simply don't have the leadership to deal with this existential threat. And it's getting more serious by the day. Speaking of leadership, a uh, final question for you, Dave McCormick. You talk in the book, Superpower and Peril, about the need for transformational leadership. And you talk about the desperate need for vision courage, humility in our leaders and also selflessness to really give up the life you know and go serve your country. So the question to you is you ran last year for the Republican nomination for US Senate in Pennsylvania might you be one of those leaders? Are you considering running again? Yeah, well th-
0: thanks for asking. You know, I'm certainly considering considering when you lose by 900 votes, Crazy. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't lose the motivation. Uh, to try to serve. So um, I certainly am trying to figure out the best way to serve. I actually started the book long before I decided to run for Senate. It was long before Senator Toomey had even decided to step down. So the book was motivated by the belief the country's headed in the wrong direction. The run for the Senate was motivated by the same belief. And you know, sadly, the situation's only gotten worse. So I'm trying to figure out the right way to do it. Running running is no small thing. So my wife and I and family are thinking about it, praying about it. We'll We'll try to see if if that's the best path, if we think there's a way to win and and serve. And if not, there'll be definitely other ways to serve. But we're certainly giving it some thought.
1: Well, you have really spent such a big part of your life serving this country in uniform in the U.S. military, of course, and then in government service and then running, uh, running for high office. And we really, really need you. We need smart people who get it who are America first, who can help bring this country back. And Dave, I've got to tell you this book, Superpower Imperil, Peril, it is excellent. It is just, it's such an important blueprint for how we can move forward to save our great country. So well done.
0: Thank you for having me. And thanks for taking time to talk about the book and for reading it. And uh, I really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you soon, Monica. Thanks.
1: Guys, I highly recommend Superpower Imperil. Peril. It is a must read. Go get it wherever you get your books. We have been speaking to Dave McCormick, of course, and who is, as he said, considering running for office again, and we all hope that he does. Dave, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate it, and we will welcome you back when you are ready to announce another run.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much.
1: You bet. Okay, another important show in the can delighted to have had you guys with me today for this important conversation as always also thank you so much for checking out our fantastic sponsors we're all really grateful for that all right uh on friday we're going to be joined by the hilarious terrence williams you're not going to want to miss a second of that show we're going to lighten it up a little bit and have some laughs okay with terrence Uh, also big shows coming up next week too have a great balance of your week